You know, JB, one of the fun parts of uh, going out and about to these games, I've done seven games in the last, uh, what, three weekends, uh, yeah. is getting to do these uh, post-game interviews with the players and the coaches, the winning teams generally. And uh, we've been posting them on Twitter after kind of figuring out what to do with all this content. Suddenly uh, we said, you know what, Twitter, great place for them. They don't really make a full show and everything. And so yep. if you haven't seen them already, uh, we post them both to at Frank Rossi and at D3FB Huddle, as you see on the screen right here and over there. Over, yeah, over there. There. It's, yeah, over there. Somewhere around there. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think of these interviews? Yeah, I think they're great, especially, you know, it's fun to hear from the student athletes, particularly right after, you know, a big win and, and um, you know, they see the families. But, you know, that puck Haver guy from St. Lawrence, you know, sort of was giving me a hard time about something. And, oh, wait a minute. Any messages for JB out there? It's one of those guys. Uh, Mr. Baker, I know I'll say this. I'd love if somebody would, you know, not always just retweet Hobart and Union stuff. Like you guys can maybe make a comment and give us a little love once in a while. I mean, trust me. I mean, I got he's loving up Union and everything they put out, and you love up Hobart and everything. I mean, what about us up at SLU? I sent you some gear, but I he appreciate it. it. I, I can verify he has it. I was wearing RPI gear this last really? week. Really? Are you allowed to do that, or is that bad? You know what? They they cheered for me in the field, so okay. I, they're not allowed to do that either. I so gotcha. it's kind of uh, Ralph Icerni gotcha. framed the picture, I guess. Nonetheless, <laughs> Puck, congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Okay, JB, I I, I don't know what the big problem is here. Uh, you know, you've got the Hobart gear on though today, so I guess he's right about you right now. So what are you gonna do about this? Uh, you know, just a little costume change, I guess. Wow. You know, so. Right, Are you Coach allowed Parkway. to do that? I mean, seriously, I I, I got I might, in trouble a little bit for the RPI stuff. Yeah, I might get my uh, my Statesman Athletic Association card pulled for busting out a Saints football jersey. But you know, Coach Puck called me out. I gotta I gotta represent, and uh, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, Brown, I mean I, Brown's not I, really I, my favorite color, though. I will not shill for Union College during this show. I promise you that. Uh, my hair is a little bit off. Sorry about that. But I am not shilling for Union College one bit. Uh, that, that wouldn't be right, I don't think. So anyway, uh, we'll be uh, talking about St. Lawrence and Union and uh, maybe even Hobart and a whole lot more here coming up next on Season 14 of In the Huddle. Okay, so uh, show number, what is this, 11 already, I think? Uh, episode number 11? I already keep track, man. They just keep keep coming at you. Wow, that would be a great name for a blog, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, we have some interesting uh, goings on right now in the entirety of Division Three. A couple of regions were a little quiet in terms of uh, quality excitement games and whatnot. You'll see that kind of reflected in crunch time coming up. But uh, we had some really surprising results and uh we're gonna take them uh take you through them but as always my color commentator to my 
never-ending play-by-play. Uh, James Baker over there is going to give you his 30,000-foot view of Week 3 of Division Three Fall 2021. Go ahead, sir. Well, you know, we saw some conference play start off, including the NESCAC up in New England, and we started to see some interesting results, Frank. I mean, everyone was focused on the big um, North Central Wheaton game uh, on Saturday night, but kind of across um, Division Three, we saw some kind of surprising results, a few upsets. Uh, out in the Midwest, there were a bunch of overtime games. So I think this is one of those deals where we're starting to kind of get into some conference play and some of the favorites that we thought may not be so strong or maybe the teams that used to be at the bottom of the conference are starting to work their way back up. Interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as it says on the uh, screen, uh, fall 21 season becoming what we thought it would be, which is confusion uh, and the lack of clarity in certain cases, especially in the packs of, you know, the top five and then the next 10 or 15, however you look at it and all that stuff. It's becoming that where we are just not feeling like we have a lot of certainty about any given Saturday, uh, what can happen. There are a lot of seniors or super seniors right now and a lot of teams across the country, and it's starting to influence results differently at the schools that have different numbers of them. I think that's what we're seeing here, and we're going to get a good dose of it, especially when conference season begins and we see different schools with those different levels of returners maybe dominating like we haven't seen before. I'm going to give you an example. What, how does Catholic beat Endicott? We're going to talk about uh, that game in a little bit, but that's that's a result that I didn't see coming. Did you? No, definitely not. Especially with you know how they have played so far to date. The you know the Gulls were looking like they could potentially contend for the CCC title, and now, I mean, Catholic did impress me in week one, and so I, I sort of picked for them in week two. <laughs> that didn't go so well. Um, our picks have been a little little shaky, but that's actually a good thing in a way because I think it's not so easy to predict anymore. And the fact that there are so many teams kind of not only at the top of the top 25 poll that are, are various potential number one candidates, the conference races, which, you know, if you're brand new to division three, that's the, the main access point into the championship tournament. You win your conference title, you get what's called a pool A bid, and you are, that's an automatic qualifier in. And so conference play is a big deal. And um, even though, games like the Catholic and, and Endicott one is still a non-conference game. It it does have some ramifications, makes you sort of wonder like, okay, well, when Endicott goes back to the CCC, are they really not as good as we thought they were? Or is Catholic better? Or maybe should they be considered as a you know top contender in the new Mac? Who knows? Really, if you use uh, the law of syllogisms and all that stuff, well, you know, WPI struggled against Endicott and Catholic beat Endicott, and so does that make uh, Catholic better than WPI now? And, you know, I don't even know what to tell you about Springfield at this point, but uh, the job they did against Union uh, we'll be seeing. Yeah. we got a lot to talk about here in Crunch Time, obviously, so let me just say here, this is Crunch Time for Week 3 of the Fall 2021 Division Three College Football Season. We're going to start off with a conference we haven't talked about yet. 
the NASCAC, and uh, this was a big game, uh, at least on paper, as Middlebury was facing off against Williams, but it turned one-sided thanks to one Bobby Mameron. Uh, the one-yard touchdown run here, 8.50 left in the first quarter, made it 7-0 Williams. Then later on, he added another two-yard run with 3.29 left in the first half. It was 21-7 Williams, and here he shows his arm as he throws it to Justin Burke at the end of the second quarter. It makes it 28-7 after the 8-yard touchdown pass. We'll also show you that short of a touchdown, he did get this huge 52-yard running uh, play. Amaron will take it himself to the 45, to the 50, still on his feet. 45, 40, 35, 30, down to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, and knocked out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. It led to a 4-yard Joel Nicholas rushing touchdown. He had three touchdowns of his own. Again, 41-13. 282 yards of total for the quarterback. One pass, one or two rushing touchdowns. And as we said, Joel Nicholas with those three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Williams defense with three interceptions, three sacks, five tackles for loss. Uh, there's an example, I think, of a senior that we knew had a lot of potential that came back and uh, I think really affected the game positively for his team. I think so too, but one of the advents of uh, Coach Raymond's teams, including the ones that he used to coach up in Canton, New York, strong offensive line and defensive line play. And we saw that on, on both sides of the ball for the Eves. He's really you know, brought brought those units to jack it up a notch. And, and that's a, a pretty commanding statement to start off the bat to, to knock off uh, formerly undefeated and defending conference champion Middlebury in the first week of NESCAC play. Uh, it's going to be everyone's chasing uh, the Eves for now. We'll see. Chase the Eves. So that, should, that should be a new game show, I think, right there. Anyway, uh, we have a Salve Regina Montclair score here as Salve Regina beats Montclair 24-21. With a minute left in the first quarter, Hayden Holmey gets a 35-yard touchdown pass from Jack McGuire. That made it 7-0, but the halftime score wasn't much different. It was 10-0 after a 27-yard Chris Maida field goal. Uh, about a minute into the third quarter, though, it was Salve Regina again. John Hannon from 35 yards out from Jack McGuire made it 17-0, Salve Regina. In the uh, third quarter, though, uh, further, about seven minutes left, Jaquiel Birch finally gets his team on the scoreboard offensively for the first time this season with a four-yard touchdown run. It was 17-7, Salve Regina, at that point. 40 seconds left, third quarter. Joey Moriello gets his first rushing touchdown of the day. 24-7, Salve Regina. But then, Makai Mickens with the 20-yard touchdown run just before the end of the third quarter. Uh, the kick was blocked, ultimately, so it was 24-13, Salve Regina. We don't have good uh, video for the, what I'm about to tell you about, but Mickens got another 29-yard touchdown, this time from Jaquiel Birch in the air. It was 24-21 after the two-point conversion was good. Salve Regina with the lead. Montclair would get one final chance, and here it was, a 4th and 12 from Salve Regina's 48-yard line. Birch's pass was incomplete to Eric Cowan, and that would do it. 24-21, Moriello gets 100 uh, yards on the ground. It looks like they changed it from what I saw in my uh, Insta box because I thought he had 104 there, but he ends up with 100, it looks like, on our final totals here. Uh, and a touchdown, Birch. Uh, 19 for 40, so he threw the ball a lot all day. Uh, after trying to establish a run, it wasn't working early. 166 yards, one passing, and one rushing touchdown for him. Let's go to the Endicott Catholic game. We talked a little bit about it before crunch time. Here it is. As halfway through the first quarter, Malachi Hansen gets a 28-yard touchdown pass 
from Madden Lowe on a fourth and ten play. And a two-point conversion. They ran what looked like the swinging gate, but they ran it actually. Was good for an 8-0 lead by Catholic right off the bat. Endicott would get two short touchdown runs in the first half, but Catholic would have the halftime lead after this Derek Aikens two-yard pass from Madden Lowe with 6.40 left first half. It was 15-13 Catholic. The teams traded the uh, traded field goals uh, in the third quarter, so uh, we were back and forth, and Catholic had the lead 18-16. But Endicott, it's Joe Leonard after uh, Berengi would get knocked out of this game briefly, and then he would uh, actually replace him in the last drive, too, with Leonard. Gets a two-yard touchdown run. It's uh, with 11.28 left, fourth quarter, 22-18 Endicott. Then Catholic's Kevin Licciardi, it's a 24-yard touchdown run to give the uh, the Cardinals back the lead, 25-22. Catholic would then get another Lichiardi uh, touchdown, this time a 50-yard pass from Madden Lowe. It's 32-22 Catholic. John Kenny would get a 2-yard run later on in that fourth quarter with 156 left for Endicott. It's 32-29 Catholic at that point. So we get an onside kick, but it was recovered by Catholic. Still, they couldn't put it away. Endicott got the ball back with 50 seconds left. And with Leonard in instead of Marenghi, the final play from the Catholic 43-yard line is one in which Catholic's defense reaches Leonard and affects the pass, so it falls incomplete and completes the upset, what we are terming an upset at least, in the game 32-29 Catholic. Baton Lowe, what a day for him. 29 for 45, 354 yards, three touchdowns for the quarterback. Endicott's defense also had three interceptions, four sacks, and six tackles for loss against Lowe, but nonetheless, it wasn't enough. Here's the other Region 1 scores as well, but you have to be impressed with that Catholic team, as we said. Yeah, off to a 2-1 start. Uh, Coach Gutt has got to feel pretty good about the way things are shaping up, and with new Mac play uh, kicking off soon, Seems like the the Cardinals are going to be a team that will have to be taken seriously. Uh, they have played uh, very good in the first three weeks, uh, and so interesting to see how it shakes out. Other scores that kind of jumped out at me, Frank, Framingham State pummeling uh, UMass Dartmouth in a game that many thought the Corsairs would finally you know take that step and and dislodge the Rams from the top of the MASCAC. It looks like uh, Framingham has a new quarterback, and maybe that's what they'll need to run the table yet again and then otherwise um you know Del Val beating Stevenson 34 to 17 while not necessarily a surprise I've noticed Frank that you know for a team that's rated as high as as these Rams <laughs> I guess or the Aggies um you know that they're not putting up like these 55 uh 45 point sort of blowout types of things that that usually top 10 teams are expected to do. They are winning games and their defense looks great. Uh, but, yeah, 34 points. They had 26 against Montclair. Maybe maybe Dan Williams and company or, you know, who have graduated off from from, from the Aggies, they might be missing a little bit there in Doylestown. Yeah, well, th- that's never been their style of winning, though, to be honest with you, against uh, teams in the MAC. Uh, so I- I'm not surprised by it. I think voters forgive them for the closer scores, generally knowing that their nature is a good defense and an offense yep. that can always find a way to score. We'll see where it goes from there. Speaking of finding okay. ways to score, Ursinus did frequently in the game against Muhlenberg in Region 2, 42-35 in this really surprising Centennial Conference game between the two teams. 
We'll fast forward to the second half of this one where the halftime score was 14 to 14. Two minutes, 49 seconds into the second half, Octavius Carter gets a 55-yard touchdown pass from Jack Senixka, I think is the correct pronunciation. We'll just go with that. Jack, I apologize if I blew that. It's 21 to 14, your sinus at that point. Then about a minute 11 later, watch this. Five from Nakowski to Daniel. Now Nakowski back to throw once again, flips it out. And this one's going to be intercepted. And it's going to be a house call, a pick six. Touchdown, Ursinus. Intercepted by Aaron Anderson. That interception return by Aaron Anderson went 42 yards to make it 28-14, Ursinus. Then, in a, what, about a minute later, or two minutes later, actually, Thomas Jenkins gets a 19-yard touchdown pass from Michael Nekowski. It's 28-21, your sign is at that point. Uh, 4.41 left third quarter. This was an eventful third quarter, to say the least. Zach Delden does some magic here. Nekowski back to throw, spins across the middle. That is complete for a Muhlenberg touchdown. Zach Delden on the reception. Now it's 28-28. So we go into the fourth quarter that way. First play of the fourth quarter. Take a look at this one. Nakowski rolls that way. He's going to throw it back. Has a receiver wide open. That's Feaster. And he'll have a Muhlenberg touchdown. A 12-yard Nakowski to Feaster completion. A staple of that Muhlenberg playbook. 35-28 now Muhlenberg. That's 21 straight points by the Mules. And they were ready to score again. After a 57-yard pass, they were within scoring distance until... Mules trying to punch it in. Nakowski back to throw, surveys the field. That one is tipped and intercepted and back the other way. One man really to beat across midfield. The 40, the 30, cuts back inside the 20 and is going to be tackled inside the 15-yard line. That is Anderson once again. Aaron Anderson is second interception of the day. It led to a, a one-guard Samuel Ragland touchdown run. Now we have a tie, 35-35, 9.28 left in the game. With 6.03 left, though, your sinus gets the ball back, and Ragland gets another touchdown, this time from 21 yards out. 42-35, your sinus. Two final chances for Muhlenberg. First, here's a pass interception by Nikowski. Ryan Divergilis, excuse me, gets the ball at the one-yard line and returns it to the 28. But then they get one more chance. Here's the and here snap. It is. Matkowski takes it, and it is complete. It is a hook and lateral type situation. And this one is going to be fumbled away, actually picked off, or whatever the proper term is. Either way, the clock runs out, and the Ursinus Bears have come into Allentown and shocked the Muhlenberg Mules. Ursinus wins this one 42 to 35. Couldn't reach uh, that end zone, not even close to it with the attempts at hooks and laterals there. And it is Ursinus holding on 42-35. Their first win at Muhlenberg since 1999. Coach's uh, 100th career win. Raglan becomes the all-time rushing touchdown leader for them. And on top of it, it's their first ever victory against a top 10 team. Period. Incredible performance by Ursinus in this game. Then we go to Springfield at Union. This was a 16-14 game at halftime, but we'll tell you first how we got to that point as Finn Duran gets a 24-yard touchdown pass from Will Bellamy to make it 7-0 Union three minutes into the game. The teams would trade scores, but midway through the second quarter, you have 
David Wells finding Isaiah Cashwell Doe for 74 yards in the pass play. I thought this was the triple option. They, they found this option, apparently. So there's that 16-14 score, Union leading in halftime. Then in the second half, without Erebor uh, in for Union, uh, it was Michael Fiore finding uh, Pater from 27 yards out for the Dutchman, making it 23-14 Union. Also, Andre Ross uh, was in street clothes in this game. I think he was injured as well. So Union was missing yep. some weapons offensively in this game. Union gets something else, uh, though, this time from defense a minute later as Thomas Cavallo gets a 31-yard interception return for a touchdown. So Union's just flying out there now, 30-14 to in the third quarter. Springfield says, not so fast. 9.26 left. In the fourth quarter, David Wells gets this four-yard touchdown run. It's now 30-20. to They would get a 30-yard Christian Hutra field goal as well with 2.54 left. So now it's a seven-point game. They would get the ball back. And here's what happens. Lead by a touchdown. Wells is going to throw. Oh. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. And run out of bounds and run out of the stadium. Colin Lama runs about 150 yards after the play all over Frank Bailey Field and then some. Showing off the fact that he got the ball and he was not going to give it to anybody at that point. And he secures the victory for the Dutchman. 30-23. to 23. Fiore gets 20 rushes, 110 yards, and a touchdown for Union. So good day for him in that uh, backup role. And the defense for Union with five turnovers, including three fumble recoveries and two interceptions. That Colin Lama, 16 tackles. He has a wow. tackle for loss in that interception you saw. How about going down the street a bit on uh, I-88? Or actually, it's I-90, I think you would use it. I'm thinking Hartwick is I-88, right? Uh, yep. But anyway, Utica is uh, was facing Western New England, and this was a good game on paper and proved to be definitely. At halftime, it was 19-17 Western New England, but Utica's Nate Palmer gets a 51-yard touchdown pass from Sonny Badina to make it 24-19 Utica. Western New England would add a 32-yard Matt Gilbert field goal, and then they would get this good old Adam Raza guy. I remember him from, uh, I think, the preseason, yeah. in fact. <laughs> he gets his second touchdown of the game uh, from Karstetter, and this is a now a 28-24 Western New England lead. Well, Utica would come back. 90.7 FM. Padina, he's going to launch it deep. Touchdown, Pioneers! Brantley finds the end zone! 30 to 28, and the Pioneers retake the lead with just over five minutes remaining in this one. That 23-yard Matt Brantley touchdown reception for Bedina made it 30-28 Utica. And then, how about one more? Snaps taken. It's not even going to be a play action. He's going to go deep. He's got Brantley caught. Nothing but open field. One man to beat. Touchdown, Brantley. Pioneer touchdown, and he walked his way to the end zone. Two touchdowns for Brantley here today. This time the duo connects from 67 yards out, and that would be it. Utica wins 37-29. Brantley, four receptions, 135 yards, those two touchdowns. Badina, excuse me, gets 15 for 33, 68, four touchdowns, one interception. Raza, four receptions, half of them were touchdowns. As well, we'll tell you about St. Lawrence at Morrisville State. If you haven't seen the videos already, they are on Twitter, on our accounts. So we're not going to uh, take up too much time here with that. But we'll tell you that Tyler Groshot 
was 16 for 34, 219 yards, two touchdowns, two INTs in the second half, and 55 rushing yards. He, he really is a, uh, a do-it-all quarterback when you get down to it, and he's growing uh, by leaps and bounds. You can tell in that maturity column for his team. And Ernesto Mitchell, 17 tackles for Morrisville. Uh, the SLU defense, you got to talk about them too. Three interceptions and a sack. Region 2 doesn't have too many other scores to look at besides the Transit Trophy going to RPI, etc. And Brockport maybe struggling a little bit with Rochester. That's a surprise. What else jumps out yeah. at you on the Region 2 scoreboard here? A bunch of blowouts, including one where Johns Hopkins ran up a 77 to nothing win in a all-time uh, record-setting offensive performance for the Blue Jays. They they racked up 738 total yards of offense. Um, it seems like there might be a new uh, potential king in the in the Centennial. Um, the Blue Jays did beat Ursinus uh, earlier in the season. So they seem to be at least in control of their destiny now that Muhlenberg has a loss. The Mules are going to have to try and trip up the Jays later on this season to get back yeah. in the race. And that's exactly right. If they beat them, then we have a big mess on our hands. But at least they're back yeah. in the conversation is Muhlenberg. And you can't ever count out Muhlenberg. I'm sure uh, there's this coach that we know that's uh, not going to let them forget the fact that they should have probably won the game on Saturday. And we're a uh, quote, better team on the field, at least on paper. What happens any given Saturday, folks? That's what happens here. Yep. Whitewater hosting Barry. This is an interesting game, uh, at least from the travel perspective. We kind of keyed in on the idea we didn't give Barry much of a chance. But you know what? They held up well early in this game. First, though, Tyler Holty from Whitewater has something to say about all this. Max Milo looking to his right. He's going to take a shot for Holty. And he is bumped. It still made the catch. Are you kidding me? No way. Touchdown, Tyler Holty on fourth. What a catch by him. I don't know how he held on to that ball. It's a fourth and four play on top of it. So Whitewater gets a 6-0 lead after a missed point there uh, with five and a half minutes left first quarter. In the second quarter, it's Sam Delaney with a 13-yard touchdown pass from Max Myler. And uh, we were right, by the way, because their home uh, guys are calling him Myler, not Mailer. So at least we, we've uh, tried to teach the nation about this man, Max Myler. 13-0, Whitewater with the lead. After a Whitewater field goal with 134 left, it's Barry with the ball back. But unfortunately, Gavin Gray was sacked for a loss and fumbled the ball, recovered by Whitewater. And that led to a, an Alex Pete two-yard touchdown run. So with 45 seconds left second quarter, it's 23-0. So this is all happening at the end of the first half. Well, just a play later, Josh Rogers rushes for two yards but has the ball completely stripped from him at his own 13-yard line as uh, it was Nico Lemke. Uh, recovering or uh, actually forcing the fumble and Mark McGrath, uh, not of Sugar Ray fame, uh, getting it <laughs> for Whitewater at the 13 yard line. So, what happens basically the next play? Tyler Holty, a thir- 13 yard touchdown pass from Max Myler, 30 to 0. That's the halftime score. So, what was 16 to 0 turns to 30 to 0 to a final of 39 to 7. Whitewater, Max Myler, 16 for 26, 256. Three touchdowns. Alex Pete, 16 rushes, 55 yards, two touchdowns. And Cameron Kawa from Barry, five receptions and a touchdown. Kind of the game we expect to see. We'll also talk about two pack games. First, no video for this. It was a battle of field goals pretty much late after Grove City yeah. got a one-guard touchdown from East early on. And it was 
uh, the defense, really. You got to talk about the defenses of both teams as Grove Cities held Carnegie Mellon to two for 16 on third and fourth downs combined. Josh East from Grove City with 244 total yards, including the rushing touchdown I just told you about. And linebacker Robert Corey from Carnegie Mellon with 13 tackles. Now that's an interesting game because that winner will face what was ultimately the winner of the next game here, Westminster Case Western, coming up in week four. Grove City, Westminster coming up. But first, let's talk about the fact that Westminster held a 14-12 lead late in the first half. And then with a minute 29 left in the second quarter, Denny Dennison with a 26-yard touchdown pass from Cole Konichka makes it 21-12 for the halftime score in favor of Westminster. But the play you've probably seen all over the place, halfway through the fourth quarter, Bryce Butler gets his 100-yard interception return for touchdown, ties the record because the NCAA doesn't have stats over 100 yards for these, 27-12 in favor of Westminster. And then with a minute 21 left, Chevy Dawson with a 47-yard touchdown pass from Konechka makes it 34-12. That was our final. Drew Saxon threw the ball 58 times. is over 50% efficiency, but got intercepted five times on the day. Bryce Butler from uh, Westminster got three of those interceptions, including the pick six, and that ties a record for his team. And Ian Barr just doing Ian Barr things there for Westminster with 14 tackles. Usually the team that wins the game doesn't have numbers of tackles that high. So for him to get 14 tackles just underscores how good he was in this game. And finally, I will mention Hampton Sydney beats Shenandoah 28-7 as they kick off ODAC play there. Running back Caleb Smith with 14 rushes, 114 yards, two touchdowns. Tanner Bernard, the Hampton Sydney quarterback, 20 for 28, 263, two touchdowns, interception, and linebacker Ben Bergen with 12 tackles. Region 3 uh, kind of belonged to the pack when you really think about it and what's starting to shape up there. Yeah, and, and, and until SAA and, and some of the USA South conference play kicks off, it, you know, pack is really where it's at right now as far as uh, some good games are concerned. Um, the rest of them, you know, a lot of blowouts, not, not too many close calls. Uh, but yeah, pack conference play getting kicked off definitely amps it up. But there are some pretty good games coming up in week four, including our, our favorite uh, southeastern rivalry, Brevard and Huntington. Uh, so we'll have some more on that probably in our Friday pick show. No coin flips needed. Heads. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> North Central Wheaton, uh, the little brass bell game, and we uh, highlighted it before it got played, and uh, it delivered for that matter. Uh, five minutes yeah, into the first did. quarter, Wheaton gets on the scoreboard right here out of the gun looking on the fade to peterson against beasley he's got it touchdown thunder wow that's just physical right there tough matchup that's an all-american corner beasley's one of the best but spencer peterson is no joke and he's a basketball player too that's seven to zero after the nine yard touchdown pass to peterson from luke anthony then it's a uh, hardy 44 yard touchdown reception from luke lennon to make it seven to seven North Central, 9.56 left second quarter. In the third quarter, because that was the all, the all the scoring we'd get in the first half of 7-7 tie, it was Ethan Greenfield with a three-yard touchdown run for North Central, making it 14-7. A little attitude from Greenfield after this touchdown. He, he definitely wanted this one. There's no doubt about it. But Wheaton would get a chance late thanks to their defense. Watch what happens in this play. Greenfield again. Ball's out! And Wheaton's got it! Wheaton's wow. got the football. It's Dallas McRae. 
Unbelievable. And Sharmore Clark slow to get up now. So that sack fumble by Lennon makes it a Wheaton ball ultimately as Holiday gets it at the Wheaton 26-yard line. But North Central's defense would force a fourth and two and an incompletion by Anthony on that fourth and two. And it led to one more big play for North Central. This time an Ethan Greenfield 18-yard touchdown run to make it 20-7. to And that would be it. Defense abound in this game, really, when you think about it. But Ethan Greenfield gets 17 rushes, 55 yards, two touchdowns. Luke Anthony from Wheaton. Not a really horrible day in terms of, you know, throwing interceptions, this and that. But 319 total yards, one passing touchdown. He just couldn't connect at the times he needed to in this game. They are the new number one team by one point, North Central, after beating two ranked teams. More on that after crunch time. Finally, on the West Coast... Pacific against Pomona Pitzer. If I make it through this one without screwing up these names, I am really (laughs) earning my pay. And here we go. It is first with Pacific up 14-7 after Kyle Curran TD reception. Pomona Pitzer gets a Cole Berry 98-yard kickoff return to make it 14-14 with two minutes left first quarter. With one second left in the first quarter, though, Joshua Harris responds here with a three-yard touchdown run to make it 21-14 Pacific. What a game this was. I mean, seriously, watch what happens here, folks. 11.47 left first half. Pomona Pitzer answers again with Nathan Miles getting a 52-yard touchdown pass from Clark Baker. Uh, Baker receives this on basically a flea flicker type play and uh, throws the ball. Great throw by him and makes it 21-21. We're not done yet in the first half, though, as Pomona Pitzer's Will Raddus gets 11-yard touchdown pass from Evan Flitz to make it 28-24 Pomona Pitzer. That's their first lead of the game, and that's the halftime score. Let's fast forward up to the fourth quarter. Halfway through it, Kyle Kern gets a two-yard touchdown pass from Kenyon Harris. It's 31-28. Let's look at this one-handed grab one more time, though, and the actually the discussion by the officials first, then the replay of it. I think it's a good call. Uh, the officials uh, had taken a while to get to it, but you'll see it, and it's close, but looked good to me, ultimately. Didn't see the ball come off of him at all. So, right there, it is 31-28 Pacific. Mona Pitzer, though, gets a touchdown. Win Hunter, that that's a name. Win Hunter, 21-yard touchdown pass from yeah. Evan Flitz uh, with 2.48 left. 35-31 Pomona Pitzer, but now with four seconds left, Pacific on the road, tries to answer Ty Hargis with the 13-yard touchdown pass from Kenyon Harris, makes it 38-35. The ensuing final play was no good, I'll tell you right now. Pacific holds on on the road, 38-35. Harris gets a 13-yard game-winning touchdown pass with four seconds left, as we said. He had 305 yards total and three touchdowns. Harris from Pacific gets two rushing touchdowns and flits three total touchdowns. Uh, Give me your brief thoughts here as we flick through first page one of the other scores and then page two of the other scores in regions four through six. Well, it looks like so far the Northwest Conference is is having a better time against the uh, Sky Act from Southern California early on. But other scores that jumped out at me, Frank, um, Mount Union needed a while to kind of kick things into gear to put Baldwin Wallace away. Eventually won 31 to seven, but that game was a little bit too close uh, there for a while, I think. And same thing with Harden Simmons. Maybe they were looking ahead to some important game in Belton this weekend. 
they had to come back to, to beat um, Bellhaven 21 to 16. We'll have a little more on that uh, this week with, with an interview um, that Frank will tell you about in a little bit. Um, thank you, Linfield, for pushing me past a certain Mr. Rossi in our picks there. Uh, 51 to 10 uh, beating of Redlands was was very timely. I appreciate that. Uh, Chapman hangs on 23 to 21 over George Fox. Uh, rest of the scores, our friends, the Bluffton uh, Beavers hang on to uh, beat Kalamazoo 21 to 20. Uh, we saw that Trine uh, outlasted Mount St. Joseph in, in overtime. And then, you know, the only other scores that kind of jump out, we had a couple of uh, a couple more OT games with Eureka and Grinnell winning. And then kind of in the, the back 40 here uh, in the Midwest, I would say the games that kind of jumped out to me, Frank, was Lewis and Clark winning 66 to 14 on Whittier. That's a, that's a pretty big uh, separation there. Ohio Northern looking good in the OAC. Um, UW Lacrosse hung around there with uh, Division II Grand Valley State for a while until um, that D2 team sort of pulled away. Uh, our friends at Suwanee, so close to uh, getting a win against Westminster, Missouri, but not, not quite yet. And then um, otherwise, you know, I'd say that the uh, Falcons of River Falls continue to look impressive, 71 points to uh, 13 against Northwestern, and then uh, Milliken winning also in OT, and then Cal Lutheran over Puget Sound, one of the few Skyac winners in the uh, kind of round robin between the Skyac and the NWC this weekend. And that is crunch time for week three of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. Well, frankly, I glossed over the most important stat on the, on the PowerPoint, I just realized. And it's Good, the most I, important I didn't drink one. my coffee after all that, so go right ahead. You, I you know, take yeah, it. Yeah, you, 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 and the way you handle these names, man, it's, it's crazy. But the best stat was this one. Zero games canceled because of COVID protocols this weekend. Finally. <laughs> it's been a long not, wait. It's not to say, though, that uh, some teams aren't yeah. still getting decimated roster-wise, but still playing the games. True. True. Uh, um, we've been hearing a lot about that. Kids are, yeah, and the kids are quarantined, and obviously, you know, we, we, we wish them well, and, and uh, you know, we don't want to downplay it, but it is it does feel like a little bit of a small victory uh, to me that that happened um, this weekend finally because we, we did see a few games getting canceled here and there um, in the first two weeks. Hopefully the zero cancellations will continue. Uh, like you said, though, Frank, it's going to be hard to tell what's going to happen week to week if there uh, you know, are certain players who just can't play and, and teams just have to you know, go out there and hope for the best. I have a slide here uh, in front of me that has four pretty pictures on it. Well, I wouldn't say pretty necessarily, but uh, four uh, pictures of people that uh, look like they're very involved in uh, their love of college football here. So tell us about these four in JV's Week 3 MVPs. Yeah, well, on offense, you know, it probably would have been pretty easy to go um, with Lehman from North Central. I mean, second career game, and he, he won a pretty important one, but... This uh, quarterback from from Johns Hopkins, Ryan Stevens, who actually went to high school not very far away from where I used to live in Los Angeles at, at Chaminade Prep, um, he is really having a fantastic season. Um, they haven't updated the NCAA stats, but he was the number one ranked uh, quarterback after the first two weeks in passing yards and passing touchdowns. He certainly added to that in the 77 to nothing <laughs> win over the weekend. So. Um, definitely taking notice of, of Stevens and Hopkins. They, they look like a really 
strong team, not just in the Centennial, but perhaps in, in all of, of Region 2. Um, <laughs> freshman, speaking of freshmen, uh, Stephen Bartkus from Eureka, um, he en ended up kicking seven uh, PATs and a field goal to account for 10 points in their one-point victory in a 58-57 to nail-biter over Rockland. So, um, may not have been, uh, you know, an all-time all big player, and that that's a Kind of a funny, funny picture there. I have to say, <laughs> but he uh, he added you know ten vital points to that fifty-eight point total, so he got my uh, special teams oh, nod. Hold on then, though, wait, wait, wait though. He kicked how many kicks as a freshman? He had to, he had to convert seven PATs, wow. and he also booted in a field goal. So yeah, he was basically eight for eight um, on his line. He he kicked the ball off nine times. There were so many touchdowns scored in this game, Frank. He averaged nearly 60 yards per kickoff, um, over 500 yards in, in, in kickoffs. And um, he, he didn't punt the ball, <laughs> but he did pretty much everything else. So pretty impressive uh, outing for, for the freshman there uh, from Eureka. And then you, you saw the 100-yard pick six earlier during crunch time. Um, you know, all these diaper dandies here. You know, Bryce Butler from the Titans, just an impressive outing. And and even though three guys I, like three Colin, INTs, three INTs is yep. a freshman. We, we can't, we have to underscore this stuff a little bit more because that's three INTs, including a 100 yard pick six by a freshman, JB. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And effectively, what was, for all intents and purposes, a conference championship caliber game on, on Saturday night under the lights against the defending champs um, from 2019. So huge performance for him. Um, you know, kind of being put into the national spotlight. And, and even though guys like Colin Lama, um, I think Mitchell from uh, SUNY Morrisville had, may have had more tackles. And I mean, even Coach Puckhaver mentioned, um, you know, the, the player from, from SUNY Morrisville as being an awesome, awesome linebacker. But, you know, Butler really stepped up in a, in a, a game that really had uh, some, some national and conference level uh, importance and what a what a performance by him. And then lastly, um, and maybe we saved the best for last here, um, Coach Gil Martin, um, what a tough week for him uh, with his father um, falling ill and, and suffering from a stroke. The interview you did with him um, that you can see on our Twitter handles, I mean, try not to, to get choked up. Um, it just the the emotion, you know, the love he has for his dad and, and um, you know, what he had been through and, and really what his assistant coaches, you know, had to help help him and, and help the team get through this really big game against a Montclair team that's, uh, you know, even though they're struggling, they're still a, a great team from the NJAC. And so Salve off to a 3-0 start, um, an impressive uh, opening, and they doesn't get any easier for them. They, they take on Rowan in week four. But this uh, Seahawks team is turning heads um, in, in New England so far. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, Coach Gilmartin. But, you know, your heart goes out to him. Hopefully his father is, is recovering and doing better. Um, Frank, you, you talked to him on, on Saturday on what was a pretty toasty day there in, in New Jersey. Um, tell me a little bit about what maybe what you guys either said before or after what was on camera even. Well, he informed me just before he went on camera after we had done the player interviews that he may not make it through the interview, and I didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, it's his birthday and everything, and then he's like, mm -hmm. my dad had a stroke, yeah. and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, where do you go with that, ultimately, as uh, the interviewer in this whole thing? But yeah, happy said, are, birthday? Sure? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you sure you want to go through with this, uh, Coach? Yeah, we'll try. And so 
we did our best and uh, he, we got through it. And uh, after it was done, he was uh, kind of emotional still, and so was I. And so it was uh, it was something else. But it was uh, good to see all of our friends from Montclair there as well. Uh, they they actually there there is a mutual admiration society between the Montclair uh, coaching staff and the Salve Regina coaching staff and the players. You can tell, yeah, they they are relentless on the field, but. Uh, you know, especially with Moriello coming from Jersey and everything else, it was a good overall atmosphere for the game, and I'm glad the game actually came down to kind of the wire. I think it was fitting that we had that type of situation. It didn't go overboard one way or the other, and it kind of got everybody out of their mindset of the bad things going on and got them into the football yeah. game altogether. So I want to talk about Region 1, though, as you brought up Salve Regina. You know, we're seeing, aside from NESCAC, we'll kind of toss that out for now and just say uh, Williams seems to be a team to watch and beat uh, in the NESCAC at this point. We'll see how that turns out and see if Amherst is going to have any discussion about that as they get closer to their biggest little game. But Mm. that with the Endicott loss, and you kind of look at who's the dominant team in New England right now, it's tough to come up with exactly the correct answer. I think Salve Regina is probably going to be one of the heir apparents at the very least after Endicott loses. But then with Rowan coming up, we're going to find out a lot about them because uh, we saw Rowan lose to Springfield in New Mac play. And if Rowan is able to beat Salve, I, I have to go right back to the team I started with in this whole thing, Springfield, as probably the team to really watch for in New England as uh, the number one team. Even with the loss, remember the loss came when they lost two quarterbacks against yeah. Western New England, who lost to Utica on Saturday. There's some weird, you know, this team beat that team stuff going on all around the place. But Springfield, with what they were able to do against Union, tells me that, yeah, they may have two losses, but you better watch out for that team in New Mac play and beyond. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think we would have – a little more certainty, feel a little less up in the air if Western New England had somehow managed to beat Utica. The fact that they lost that game, you know, certainly no shame in that because you know Coach Fagiano and company have a great program and they're they're going to be contenders in the Empire Eight. But still, that was a, a maybe a missed opportunity of sorts because then now the Bears they're going to have to play Salisbury in a in a tough one, and so they're they're going to have a couple of losses on, on their record, and so for the most part. They're sort of pool A or bust at this point. Uh, they're going to have to run the show in the CCC, and maybe they'll be fine because we saw what happened with Endicott, but Salve is really showing themselves to be a, a very tough contender and certainly a team to, to not take lightly. So hard to say what's going on in that New England conference, but, um, yeah, kind of agree with you too, Frank. Springfield showing up, and uh, who knows what's next. Well, I would say the only, there's only one team right now that might not be pool A or bust, but probably still is, even though Salve right now at 3-0. Uh, you're yeah. not finding many teams that you can expect to run the table the rest of the way, or at least have the possibility to, that have an undefeated record here uh, at this point in time. So th- this is playing out uh, kind of in the go win your conference mentality, no matter what, throughout that, uh, that whole region minus the MAC, uh, ultimately. Uh, the Mac has its own set of interesting stuff going on where, you know, if nobody can beat DelVal, then unless the team that doesn't play DelVal somehow runs the table too, uh, then we'll have an interesting problem on our hands if that's the case. And maybe there is a pool C bed in the offing. Otherwise, I don't see that 
I don't see Region 1 really qualifying for a Pool A or Pool C bid right now in those five bids, to be honest with you. Yeah. In Region 2, um, the Empire 8 needed a win like Utica over Western New England because it's just been hellacious for them, aside from how Cortland's been doing. And, you know, that's about it. Uh, so Utica getting that win, moving to 3-0, and it's, it's necessary right now. Uh, the Liberty League needed Union to keep that up, what they did in RPI, getting the win in the Transit Trophy game. So, you know, Rochester showed themselves well. It was a loss, sure, so Empire gets one there. Yeah. But, you know, Ithaca over Alfred. Alfred just having a woeful season. Hobart over St. John Fisher. The Liberty League is just having a really good go of it until you look down to Buffalo State, Cortland State, 58-9. to um, I, I guess that game tells me that St. John Fisher, with that Hobart score, too, wasn't the team we thought they would necessarily be this season. Uh, the Buffalo State win for St. John Fisher in Week 1 by just one possession, ultimately, probably should have given us a clue, but we didn't want to write anybody off after Week 1 games. Yeah, and I think, you know, Cortland is, is probably, at this point, maybe the potential top dog in the Empire 8. It's hard to tell. Um, you know, credit to... to um, you know, Coach Fitz and, and the and the Dragons for a great start. The, their team looks really strong. I know that they had a big announcement today. They're excited that, that they're going to be playing Cortica and Yankee Stadium uh, next year. So that, that'll be cool. Maybe they'll break that record that they set in um, in Giants Stadium. But overall, Frank, the, the lots of undefeated teams at the top of the Liberty League, um, all different sort of strengths and weaknesses that they have. So conference play kicking off there in week five. Um, Ithaca will be idle this this weekend, uh, but for the most part, yeah, it does it does feel like you know we have a a pretty good delineation so far of you know, sort of who's who in in Region Two, and it'll be interesting to see once conference play really kicks in after this next weekend how it goes. One from exception, there. one exception to that uh, in my book right now, uh, and Jack is Salisbury right now until somebody tells us otherwise. Centennial yeah. Conference. Hopkins, I guess, but there's still yeah, some big games being played. You know, remember, yeah. your sign has got 21 points against Hopkins. It was a 49-21, I think, final. But that, that was the right. best performance uh, by a team against Hopkins so far this season. Uh, I'm curious mm -hmm. to see how things play out later on with uh, yeah. this, your sinus team first off and Muhlenberg now with the loss. Was this loss what they needed to wake up here and maybe they have a talent deficit i don't know but we're going to find out that's going to be the interesting storyline in region two besides who in the liberty league emerges from the pack and also whether or not utica will be able to challenge Cortland ultimately in the empire eight those those are the storylines i'm watching for as we start going the next few weeks here uh in region three uh, the results there, uh, Whitewater kind of is an out-of-place uh, team there, although uh, we kind of wanted yeah. to highlight the game. But uh, Barry, look, Barry, we told you, you did right by yourself by going there. This reflects not at all on the SAA, honestly. We knew this result was likely. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know what, it wasn't a 60 to nothing blowout. Maybe it could have been, I, I guess, but still. Uh, if not for those couple late mistakes in the first half, this was a 16-0 game at halftime. Yeah. So... You know, you didn't get your uh, doors blown off in this whole thing, but it wasn't exactly the best of trips either. I get it. Uh, Grove City, Westminster. 
week four. It's one game. of the games I considered wanting to go to, but obviously we had uh, another game kind of glaring us in the face. Uh, they were glaring at us. And so <laughs> I, I think we're going to see a defensive struggle like no other in this upcoming Westminster Grove City game. And this is really going to create a little bit of the separation we need to see in terms of the who's who or who's left standing mentality of the five teams that we think are contenders in the pack here. This is a great game to have in week four. Yeah, absolutely. And we should start seeing some ex more exciting games happening like we did in the spring with the SAA because center's off to a great start. Uh, Birmingham Southern has has won all their games by wide margins and looks like a great team. Uh, you know, Barry has had a little, you know, struggle with the, you know, Whitewater game and then they you know, weren't super impressive in their week one win over Maryville. So it could be what same sort of thing we're seeing in the pack, Frank. It might be super competitive. It could you know, could hinge on a game or two here or there and be decided, you know, kind of late in the season. USA South, as I said, Brevard and Huntington kick off this weekend. That should be a great start to their conference. And um, in the ODAC, for now, it still seems like Randolph-Macon is the uh, you know, top of the top of the heap in the ODAC, and it'll be up to somebody else to, to change that opinion. Well, Hampton Sydney getting the first win, uh, basically, uh, with this Shenandoah win, it's important. It tells yep. you that the balance of power may still be uh, the old rivalry uh, when it comes down Washington to it. Washington and Lee looks pretty good, too. Yeah, they, they're they, not bad they've either. In the last couple weeks, yeah. But the, the, the stables are, or staples are there staying where the, we, we thought they would, even though some of their out-of-conference results might not have lent to that idea. Uh, ultimately, uh, Randall Bacon, you'd like to see put up a few more points here and there, but they're still a pretty mm. impressive team. And then in uh, regions four through six, boy, um, we're going to find out a lot about these uh, regions, or at least a couple of them, uh, this weekend because you've got Mount Union, John Carroll, uh, coming up. Okay, there's the OAC de facto championship in a lot of people's minds, even though we think Heidelberg yep. is the better team. Out of the two of those, uh, John Carroll or uh, Heidelberg. Contenders, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this will answer a lot of questions, especially after Mount Union sort of struggled to put a lot of points on the scoreboard until late in the second half. Um, we have the answers in Region 5, basically, with North Central and Wheaton right now uh, in the books at that point. But uh, Region 6, uh, Mary Harden-Baylor, Harden-Simmons coming up. Uh, you see the scores in the Each other uh, scores. Uh, you know, the Bellhaven score... We'll, uh, we'll talk more about these respective games with our interviews that come up on our Wednesday night show. That's going to be with Jefferson yep. Fritz from UMHB and Kyle Jones from Harden-Simmons, formerly of UMHB, no less. Um, Ironically, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't uh, kind of beat up those games, but we're going to learn a lot about that Region 6 scenario on the ASC coming up. The Wisconsin teams need to play each other here before we can really start talking about who's who, if Oshkosh is for real, if lacrosse belongs in the echelon or not. Um, and then the, the rest of uh, Region 6, basically, Linfield proved they're Linfield against Redlands. It took a little while in that game for them to really create separation, but they did yeah. eventually by 41 points. We're, we're, I think we're forgetting one more big game, though. Bethel's at St. John's in yeah. Week 4. Well, well, or remember the, basically though, the Mayak. Well, the Mayak though has a championship game still, so these two teams could True. face off again later yeah. on in the yep. season. So that's Fair why, enough. like yep. Pat Coleman's not going to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. And I think he's got some family uh, things going on too. So 
you know, all that told, it, he's going to wait for the next playing of this game, assuming that is what happens. But I don't, you know, look, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if Bethel loses this game and Concordia Moorhead, you know, shows up in their game versus them, all bets are off to a certain degree. So I don't think it's an automatic that Bethel gets to the championship game if they lose this. St. John's, well, if they lose this, then the Aurora result starts to play tricks with us a little because yeah. Aurora didn't look so good the next week against North Central. Well, who will look again good against North Central, I begin to wonder too. But, yeah. you know, St. John's has been, let's say, good against okay teams maybe? Is that how we look at this? I don't know. And so that's the measuring stick you're going to get from that game. If St. John's wins and does so impressively, then we know who the top of the Mayak pack is going to be. If Bethel wins it, then I really have some questions about what the strength level right now in the Mayak is. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how the how the Royals and Johnnies stack up because if it's one of those you know sort of blowout games, then, then maybe we're like, okay, St. John's is where we thought they were. But if they, they struggle and or lose – that could be a whole a whole nother a whole nother conversation, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out on Saturday. So, like we said, we have the uh, preview of the ASC de facto championship, the rivalry of rivalries in that conference. Mary Harden Baylor yep. versus Harden Simmons in Belton on Saturday. I will be attending it. Uh, we had eighty seven percent. Of the people that, uh, that answered the poll said, yes, I should attend that game. So the ticket is bought. The sideline pass is ready to go, from what I understand. And our pregame show is expected at 5 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we're going to try to get a little uh, pregame show, talk about what games have been played, what games are to be played, and get a little bit of reaction about the game in front of us uh, at that yep. point down in Belton. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, but also the Twitter uh, stuff we normally do on the sidelines and maybe some post-game reaction as well while I'm down there. Good to see old friends. Speaking of Twitter stuff, uh, speaking of Twitter stuff and old friends, Frank, we did get a message from a, an old friend from down there in Belton and he's expecting a lot of points from the Crusaders. I don't know if that's going to be how it plays out, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I've heard a couple of people tell me that in the last couple of days that I identified that I was going to be coming down and I got a couple of phone calls. Uh, I, look, folks, it's a rivalry game. It's a team that's hungry to finally get the win in this rivalry game. Don't assume anything in this game. And I, I expect yeah. a really, really good game. It was just like the last two of them, really, ultimately. We didn't think the last one was going to uh, transpire into cool, one. But uh, in that second half, it certainly did. And uh, you'll want to see the interviews with uh, Fritz and Jones uh, coming up uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, rather. And uh, then we'll uh, do some preview stuff on Friday morning, as we usually do. I'll probably be in the air while it airs, but uh, at least uh, we'll record it in time. And then uh, we'll see you Saturday evening.